Uh, Lord, you, you are the greatest of all time. God, you never, you never waver. You never fail. God, you never back down. You are infinitely good and infinitely perfect. And this morning as we come together to, Lord, just to open your word after such a sweet time of musical worship, God, I pray that you just, our hearts being saturated by the truth that we sung, that what can, and God, I love adding, God, what has washed away our sin, nothing but your blood. God, as we, our souls and our minds and our, our hearts and even our lips this morning have been saturated singing and thinking about the precious blood of Jesus God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive truth from your word, God. Lord, we don't want a half-sharp sword this morning, God. Lord, we want to be sharp and in tune with your word and your character. So open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Jump with me to Ruth chapter 4. And we are finishing up today. Um, a series that I don't know about you, but it has been sweet to my soul. And um, just to recap, the, the very first week they were in uh, the desert, in desolation, in nothingness, in barrenness. They were, Naomi and Ruth had nothing. They had lost everything and everybody they loved. So they come out of Moab back to Bethlehem where God is providing again for His people. He ends the famine. They're eating food. There is grain and, and, and people are coming together. At, uh, Ruth chapter 2, we found out um, that Ruth met Boaz. Remember we said Boaz was kind of like, hey girl, what's up? You know, and they have this little exchange and he said, I'm going to, he didn't say it exactly like that, but that's my interpretation. I'm going to take care of you. And he even instructed his young men. He said, hey, leave a little extra for her so that she goes home with handfuls and basket loads of blessing. And then we go into Ruth chapter 3, which was last week. And we remember we said that was kind of the saucy chapter, right? Where they lay down together at the wine press. And some people say they did this and that. But we saw how he, Ruth, uh, Boaz maintained his integrity and Ruth maintained her purity and how they were both God-glorifying men and women in a moment of heated passion under the stars in the dark. They abstained, right? Yeah. All right. Now we, we come to Ruth chapter 4. And I'm going to read. And this is a bulk of reading. And then I'm going to stop and I want to show you three things. Three things that I want us to cherish from this book together. Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate. Remember, at the end of chapter 3... Boaz was like, man, I got to, I like it, so I got to put a ring on it kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it was that moment, right? It, it, was, it was this time where, okay, I got to, no more talk. She's coming. She's proposed marriage. So now I've got to marry her. And it's not a got to. I want to redeem her. I'm the kinsman redeemer. I'm in line. So I want to redeem this girl. Remember Naomi said, hey, don't worry about it. The, day, the sun won't go down today before he handles business because he wants you. He loves you. He's passionate about you. And that's where we pick up in four. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz turned aside. Hey, Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took two men, ten men of the elders of the city, and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, 
Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. Do you guys notice? I just want to say this. These aren't my points. Do you notice in this very first text that Boaz makes no mention of Ruth? Anybody, anybody grab that? And we, we can draw from that. We can, anybody can put their spin or interpret that. But I, in my mind, I'm thinking, Boaz is thinking, she's gorgeous, she's young. If he's seen her, he's going to redeem this thing, right? So he's approaching. He's like, hey, man, you want this land? All right. So he goes on from there. Check this out. I love this. He said, I thought I would tell you. He said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, he brings in Ruth's part. He said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Do you see the light that Boaz painted that transaction in? He was like, hey man, she, that's the, you know, if you get this land, you're going to have to get the Moabite and you're going to have to you, you carry on the lineages and it's going to kind of take away from your kid's inheritance kind of deal. And, and he painted a bad picture for the guy, right? He's like, man, you don't, you don't want that. It's kind of like when you sit down at dinner and there's some peach cobbler on the table. You know what I'm saying? And you say this, man, that ain't no good. You don't want nothing. You look over to somebody beside you, don't want, you don't want your help and you want to give it to me. It's terrible, right? Right? Can we be real this morning? All right. You guys, it said, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. I know this is a lot of reading, just hang with me. Now, this was the custom of former times. They took off their shoes. We're going to skip a verse or two. They took off their shoes. They, they you know, swapped spit and all that stuff and, and shook hands and all that. And, and they made a covenant together. And we jump all the way down. I want you to hear this. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, I love this. Please, please turn your ears on for this. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in all of Israel. Somebody say, Amen. I love this. She, she, Ruth is looking at Naomi. She's looking into the eyes of the previously barren, bitter woman with no more sons to give, no husband to cling to. And Ruth is looking into her eyes. She's holding this babe and she's like, look what God has done. Not only has God given us food, not only has God given us shelter, not only has He given us a kinsman redeemer, a man that has covenanted with me to take care of us, and we're never going to have lack of gain again. We're never going to go hungry. Like We're always going to have shelter and warmth, and we're going to be cared for. But look also, God blessed us with a promise, an heir, somebody to perpetuate the name, somebody to push the genealogy on down, which will one day lead to Jesus isn't that the coolest thing on the planet? This is the coolest thing in the world to me. That God took this little girl, and I'm going to shift from her to us right now, but God takes this girl from Moab and leads her through famine and death and grief, and she's standing there at the end of the book holding this baby boy, looking into the eyes of Naomi, and she says, there's no way to say now that all things work together for the good to them. Can I tell you that this morning? Can I just hold whatever it is up in front of you and say that there's no way to doubt? When we look at 
at the cross and what Christ has done for us, there's no way to doubt when we, when we cling on to the cross and look at the nails and grip tight the crown of thorns so we can feel that angst that Christ felt. There's no way to say that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose and that every moment in Moab that we've spent, God was working and plotting for our joy. This morning, I want to throw, show you three signs of a Redeemer and His action in your life. Because... We can talk about Boaz and we could unpack more of his godly examples, but there is only one Redeemer this morning. There is only Redeemer, only one Redeemer. That's why we sang that last song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because there's only one who can make all things right. There's only one that can alleviate and, and, and take away the stress and pain and fatigue and ache in our heart and in our soul. Only one that can deliver us from sin and impurity, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one. And the coolest thing on the planet is point number one. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Jesus, our Redeemer, pursues. I want to show you three points of a Redeemer that I want you to cling to with me this morning. It blows me away that we were pursued in the midst of our lostness. We sometimes have the idea that we found God in the midst of cleaning up our lives. That we made some midlife change or some, I was in the darkness, so I just got tired of being dark. So I, you know, I, I, you know, all right, God, I guess it's time. What we don't realize is that all through our sin, in the moments that we were cursing him, in moments that we were living lives that, lives that Scripture says is at enmity with God, which is, which is warring against the pleasure and joy of God, warring against the passion and will of God, warring against him in that moment he was pursuing us. Like he was coming after us. And check this out. You, you say, are you sure? Is it biblical? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Are you sure it's biblical? John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, when he, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the Son, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hear this. It is almost an incommunicable. It, sometimes it's hard for me to put into words the act of humility and grace that God the Son, the Word, would veil himself in flesh. Like that, that listen, it's a mystery, right? Theologians and a, bun a bunch of old dead guys have written volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of things that people debate about. And there's no way to fully wrap our small, finite minds around the fact that the God of creation took on flesh. And hear this. He veiled Himself in flesh, draping on His glory, futile, breakable rags. And he draped that over infinitely beautiful glory so that we might be found in him. Listen, that's a beautiful redeemer. Someone who would take on the rags of our society, the rags of our flesh, the rags of our temptation. And you say, well, he was, he was, he was God, right? He was the God man, so things were easier on him. No, Scripture says that he was subject to every temptation that we're subject to. He felt hunger. He felt pain. He felt Every temptation that's known to man, he was subject to, and he did not fail. We desperately need this right view of Jesus as our pursuer. Let me say this. He is not some passive, pining, 15-year-old, puppy-love-struck kid waiting on you to come around. I'm going to say that again. 
He is not some passive pining 15 year old puppy love struck kid waiting on you to come around. No, he is willing to knock you off your high horse, blind you and send you to a stranger's house to reveal his love and unpack his purpose for your life. You say, is that biblical? You can go to Acts chapter 9. 1 through 18, jot that down, where Saul was on his way. He was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute the church, had obtained letters to persecute the church of God. And Jesus invaded his life in an instant, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and said, hey, I'm going to send you to Ananias' house, and he's going to tell you what to do. I get, I get a belly full of hearing preachers say, well, gee, you know, Jesus is a gentleman. And he, man, he's not going to barge into your life. Tell that to Paul. What are you, what's your defense? I'm serious. Well, Jesus isn't going to get that real with us. What is your defense? What is our defense when we look into the face of a God who in an instant, you go through Moses, you go through Jonah, you go through Paul. Could I, I could name them all. All these men who were busy about their own lives and God beautifully interrupts their lives for his glory and their good. This morning, I want you to have a right picture of Jesus. He is not sitting, twiddling his thumbs, thinking, oh, I wish my bride would come back to me. I, I wish my bride would stop acting like a fool and prostituting herself to everything else in the world. I wish she would come back to me. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus, in the midst of our broken sinfulness, is coming after us with love and grace and compassion to restore us, redeem us, and put us on a path to His glory for our good and His eternal glory. That's what He's doing. Can you see that this morning? I hope to. Man, this blows my mind. I want you to hear this, this phrase. Jesus didn't come to impress you to prove himself to you. He came to save you. Jesus didn't come to impress you or so that you would think he was cool or the next, you know, the next cool t-shirt or the next cool bracelet or, or you know, whatever. Whatever Western Christian propaganda throws at us. Like, like Jesus came to save you. And He will save you if we respond to His draw and His call in faith and repentance. I say the verse all the time. It's one of my favorite. It says, repent and be converted that our sins might be blotted out and times of refreshing can come in the presence of the Lord. Like We complicate the, complicate the gospel so often, but it's this simple that God, through all of our mess, he, he tracked through all of our mess to find us, to want us, to bring us home. And grace is not something that you have to be good enough or you have to earn enough points or get enough badges. Grace is not something that you've got to have enough good in, the, in, in this hand rather than bad in this hand. Grace means this, that He paid the price. He stood in your place and He's redeemed you. In the midst of your Moab, He sent word back to you that there was food in Bethlehem. Point number two, I'm going to hurry, I promise. Jesus, our Redeemer, protects and when I refer to protection, I don't necessarily mean that we will never face persecution, adversity, or evil. It more clearly means that our soul is secure and protected in the firm grip of God's grace. And absolutely nothing that happens to us can break the line of defense guarding our soul that is secure in Christ. Hear this. You say, TJ, is that biblical? Luke twenty-two thirteen. 13. He told Peter, he said, Satan demanded that he might have you and sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that, you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. Psalm 118, 6-8. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. 
What can man do to me? I love that. I won't fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes. Listen, not only does He pursue you as, as, your key, as the keeper of your soul, the redeemer of your soul, the washer away of all of your past sin and shame and mistakes, not only does He pursue you through all that junk and get you, but then He protects you. He covers you in His Grace, and He protects you from the enemy. He protects you from wicked men. And He protects you from your own deceitful heart at times. Because Jesus secured our hope through His sacrifice on the cross, we have an unwavering spring of joy for our souls. We are secure in the grip of God's limitless grace and freed from fear of the enemy, wicked man, or even our own hearts. We can trust Him this morning. So often we're overcome in life by fear. We look at this, the, the economy or we look at our families. We look at all different kinds of things and sometimes we're gripped with fear and sometimes immobilized. I don't even know where to go. But listen, you can rest this morning in the protection power of God Almighty who's redeemed you. You don't have to fear any longer. Point number three, if you're taking notes, listen to this. Jesus, our Redeemer. Number one was Jesus, our Redeemer, pursues. Number two is Jesus, our Redeemer, protects. Number three, Jesus, our Redeemer, pays price. He pays the price. I love that the price was not too great for God. To redeem mankind to Himself and to set things right between God and man, you can, you can take any stance you want. You can like or dislike any kind of worship you want. You can go to any church on the planet you want. You can, you can run from God as long as you want or you can run to Him as long as you want. But one thing will remain forever. That God, the King of glory, gave His only Son so that wicked, worthless people might be made right and worthy in His sight. And that is a beautiful truth this morning. That is a beautiful truth. I want, I want you to hear this. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. I want, I want to give you the evidence scripturally. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a ransom. We were held captive by our sin and shame, all while our spiritual poverty was eating away at our eternal joy. And on the cross, Jesus signed our note in blood and it reads, paid in full. All of our sin, all of our shame, everything that we, every, in every way that we had ever offended God, in an instant, Jesus took our place on the cross and signed, paid in full in His own blood. It can't be reneged on. It can't be, he can't, He's not an Indian giver. He's not going to pull it back. Has anybody ever paid anything off? Hey, how good does it feel to roll out of the parking lot with paid in full in your pocket, right? How good does that feel? How much better does it feel when you get what you want and somebody else pay for it? <laughs> See, we can smile this morning. We can take joy in that because it was God's pleasure. It says this in the Word. That it pleased God that the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in Christ Jesus bodily. And the Word says this, that it pleased God to crush Jesus. Because in crushing Jesus, we were freed. In, in, in crushing Jesus on the cross, redemption and forgiveness and grace flooded to mankind. 
Did you hear this? When we realize the price that God paid through Christ to purify us and make us His own, the pursuit will shift. Because I know what you're saying this morning. You say, TJ, I still, wow, we're in Ruth 4, but I still feel like I'm in Moab. Man, I had a horrible week. Yeah. That's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to wrestle through things. We're going we're gonna to walk through suffering. We're going to walk through certain things. But here's the deal. We have this hope in, in a God who cannot fail. So now the pursuit shifts. Now He was chasing us through our sin. Now we are running from our sin to Him. Do you see that shift? If you've experienced Christ, you know the shift I'm talking about to where our lives used to be consumed with us and what we wanted and our own desires and our own sin. And we were stoked, so steeped in it we couldn't free ourselves. But the moment we tasted grace, the moment we realized the cross for what it was and Christ allowed the scales to fall off of our eyes and we saw it, the pursuit shifted. And in our hearts we say, God, I want more of you. God, whatever it takes, I want you. I'll leave whatever behind, God. Let the, and maybe your prayer this morning, maybe you are still steeped in all your junk, like I am some days. And I have to pray the prayer a lot of times, God, steal my affections from me. Sweep away my idols and my hobbies from me so that I pursue you and think of you only. Let me read this. When we realize the price that God paid through Christ to purify us and make us His own, the pursuit shifts. Not to say that He doesn't still pursue, but now this is not a one-way pursuit, but this is a dance. The Christian life is a dance. We get to dance under the canopy of amazing grace. The Christian life is free and it's fun. It's not stoic or stale or boring. And if you say, well, my Christian life is, then I would question if you're a Christian. Because the Christian life is free. It's full of hope. And the refuge is in Christ. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and became a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And this is my prayer. And I'm going to wrap up. My prayer in Ruth chapter 4. This is my prayer that not just this series, but our entire lives of, of every one of us being able to look on our lives and look at the great gift that Christ Jesus paid on the cross that every one of us can say this, Blessed be the Lord who has not left us this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in all of Israel. And I pray it be so of our city. God, may Your name be renowned in all of Tifton, because we're confident and sure of this one fact, that You have not left us without a Redeemer, but Jesus is present and willing to do work in our hearts. That's good news today. That's hopeful news. I'm going to pray for you. Nick's going to come and lead us in a, a time of response. And listen... If you want prayer, if you want to respond, if, if you feel the Lord calling you to salvation, you want to respond in faith, you say, man, God's doing a work in my heart and I want to wrestle through it or talk through it. If that's where you are this morning, we're available at the front. There's going to be some prayer team, men and women, who would love to pray for you. Don't, don't feel pressure. I'm not talking you into it. Also, if, if there's any other thing that you want this morning, you say, man, I just need prayer for my, my brother, my son, my cousin. Make sure you drop it in our offering basket that sits on that table on the way out. Find something to jot it on because we want to pray for you. Like we want to see His name trumpeted through the city as the only hope and refuge for our souls. We want to see the city turned upside down. I personally want to see every life in the room, including mine, a year from now, say, man, look how far God has brought us into His presence. Look how, look, look how many things that used to hold me down or hold me back or hold me from victory or hold me from joy. How many things are now just so far left behind because Christ is so alive in my life. Man, that's my hope for you guys. That's my hope for myself. My hope for Tifton. My hope for the entire world. But this is where He's put me, so this is where I'm going to do work. And I, man, 
So we're going to pray, and you guys respond. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, you're good. You redeemed us. You were the better Boaz. All of our sin, all of our shame, all the wasted years, all the wasted time, all the wasted words, you've redeemed. And we pray it be true of us, God, Lord, that in this, on this day we realize that you have not left us without a Redeemer and that your name is renowned in all of Israel, in all of the world, in all of Tifton, in all of our lives. We love you, Jesus. Amen.